You are listening to The Apparel Report with me, your host, Derek Geddes. The Apparel Report is everything you need to know about how to bring your fashion brand to life. We cover everything from prototyping to CMT, promotion to retail. Expect real insights and know-how from designers and industry insiders, along with the latest news from South Africa's most exciting studios. Today on the show, I'm talking to Mandy Milne. Mandy is a passionate creative and internationally recognized industry professional with hands-on experience in design and fashion. I've always been blown away by her tenacity and drive to grow her business and persona. So I wanted to get her on the show to share her insights with you. Welcome, Mandy. Hello. Nice to be speaking to you today. Well, this show is all about expressing opinions and getting thoughts and viewpoints out there to in some way better the industry as best we can. So would you like to tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Well, I've been in the industry a long time. Um, I graduated in, <laughs> let's just say the 90s <laughs> from uh, at Durban University of Technology. I did study fashion. I've been, you know, I was one of those really lucky people who always knew what I wanted to do, always from school. Um, and that is definitely, I was very focused on that. And I went on to study my three years. Super lucky to be also one of those people that walked straight into a job. I was offered a job in, the, in November to basically start in the January after studying. So that was very, very lucky. But I think, you know, right from the onset, my handwriting was very much a commercial handwriting, thus making it easier to be able to move seamlessly from the start. I'm definitely not an avant-garde designer or anything like that. I'm, I'm definitely always had a commercial hand. So I went straight into the commercial side, dealing with, I was in a manufacturing and that's kind of been my background until, so I started in Durban, I'm now living in Cape Town. Even when I moved here, I still carried on my manufacturing base and went into manufacturing here as well as a designer. So I've always been a designer, I kind of dipped my toe into design merchandising when I was in Durban at a manufacturer there called John Peter. Not my favorite thing to be doing. I'm a creative through and through. I'm a designer. That is my passion. Whereas merchandising is a, is a lot of dipping your toe into the other side of things and a lot more technical. And, you know, I just, it's not me. So I found that on quite early on. I know you as a very creative person and hard worker. So what in your background has shaped your career choices and achievements? Well, I've always been quite focused. I've always been someone who knows what I want. I know what I don't like. So when I got the opportunity to be design merchandiser, I was like, oh my gosh, um, but I'm going to try this. And I did. I tried it for a good year and a bit, realized it wasn't for me. And that was cool. So I knew to not ever go down that road again. You know, I do know what I like and what I don't like. And I'm very much stuck to that. But also in saying that, I am not afraid to try new things, you know, and learn new things and to move with the changing environment. Because that's very interesting, because what would you say your key attributes or skills are that you cannot live without? I am inspired by what's around me. Very much so. I'm inspired by technology, but more, more in the way it helps people, uh, not as an influence on my life my design it's what it brings to the party i can i can say that i could not live without my computer i would definitely say my business would not be where it is today if it wasn't for 
social media, early days of having my own brand, which was 2009, I launched it. I was able to sell online. I was able to get my brand across and sell internationally. I've sold to people in Japan and Australia. There's no ways I would have been able to do that if we didn't have the internet, social media, and all that kind of thing. So for me, that is a huge influence in the way I do business. I think that's how so, you say it. So that was obviously a skill that you learned after graduating. Oh, correct. Totally. Along the way. I mean, like, even, even in tech, we didn't learn computers. If we did, it was grading. We learned grading. I'm like, hell no, am I going to be doing that <laughs> when I graduate? That's not going to happen. Uh, we didn't learn, like now I, I work on Illustrator and Photoshop and, and for photography, I work on Lightroom. We learned nothing. I learned along the way from really amazing people who I would sit and watch. And that is how I learned. I sat next to our graphic designer on a chair and she taught me. Illust no, wasn't even illustrated. What, what was the first freehand? I'm just wondering, because the, the two of us have worked together in an education environment. I'm just wondering, yeah. looking back at your career, what is the one subject that you wished you had paid more attention to? <laughs> well, this is quite a funny one because I actually laugh about it all the time. It was marketing. So I love marketing now and it's actually something I really enjoy. Um, I, but in third year, <laughs> I failed it and I oh, had really? to do a rewrite. <laughs> and it's, it's so, so, so much what do you do right now? Absolutely. But it wasn't through uh, non-interest at the time. It was through pure laziness. And it was my final exam. And I had my two best mates over. And it was the night before the exam where, you know, the one was lucky that she didn't have to learn much. And it just, you know, she retained information. Whereas my other mate and I, we were terrible. And we both failed marketing. Now, I have a question on the list that we've spoken about earlier, and I know you and your husband very well, and I've worked with both of you. Do you feel Murray has a big influence or a mentorship role in your life? I would say definitely. We've worked together also since the onset of, we both left the industry. His background is accounting, finance, admin. So the complete opposite to mine and a creative background. But his um, he's worked a lot with... Um, you know, his background is also clothing industry. That is how we met when we were both in Durban. And that has been a good foundation for both of us. And especially for me, and we do work very closely together. He is involved with my business. Although I'd say more as a partnership, day-to-day -day running is definitely my own thing. He does not interfere unless, you know, I say there's this and this happening and to really to chat and discuss. And we do discuss a lot. And he understands creative people and the creative process, which is so important when dealing with people around you um, and, and choosing who you want to work with in business. Very true. So now this is the apparel report. And I do know that you produce a range of clothing and it is in a particular niche market. Do you want to speak about that? Mm -hmm. So I have Mishap, which is my ladies clothing brand. And then we do Boot Hill, which is our men's and boys, so mishaps, ladies, and little girls. But we also do accessories. And I always say, if, if I can make it, I will make it. <laughs> it is niche. It's a very 1950s retro-inspired brand. And it is actually very worldwide, which a lot of people, when I started the brand, no one really knew about it. There was hardly anyone even dressing in the style in South Africa. The interesting thing is when I started the brand, 
or what kind of sparked it was that I entered the YDE competition for young, young new designers. I came in the top 10 in South Africa. Fabulous. Yeah, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go on to win, which actually was a blessing, blessing in disguise because my brand would have changed so much. And I really do believe it would have moved away from its core, but it, but it kind of cemented my ideas and got the creative juices flowing. And yeah, then I launched it at uh, the tattoo convention here. So it is a very alternative kind of lifestyle brand. Um, and I kind of say it's like a, a subdivision of that. So it's pinup and rockabilly, which has very 50s roots. Sounds very exciting. And offers obviously working in a market that's not your mainstream. So do you want to speak about mm -hmm. how you, the, the, the life cycle of getting a product to market? So in the beginning, I didn't have a manufacturing setup at all. I then, but now also remember, I had come from Fashini Group. So though I was in the design center, you could kind of say, I was not dealing with on the ground fabrics and wholesalers on fabrics and trims. And so that was a bit difficult, I must say. That I really battled with to find what I needed and agents. That was quite, quite a thing to be able to buy in bulk which also comes with its own um, difficulties because when you're such a small brand, you're not producing like even 20 of something. You're producing five to 10 yeah. of something. So and, and a lot of those... vendors don't realize that. And that's the, that's a real problem in the market. Eh? Oh, it is. It is. It's hectic. So I used to sweat buying like 20 meters of a print because I've now got to use it. It's, and it's a huge investment as well. But it, um, I would say in the beginning, it definitely helped to have to be working and to have that other income when I started my brand. You know, um, the one thing that I'm super proud of is when I did start it, I started with what I had to invest in it. I didn't have an investor. I didn't have bank loans. I didn't have anything like that at all. Um, so it was really self-funded. Um, but um, as Murray always says, you don't ever get something for nothing. Mm. You know, if you're if you're going to borrow money, there'll be terms and conditions attached. And don't ever forget exactly. that. And designers are certainly not the type of people to go and read the small print. Never. <laughs> Who reads manuals <laughs> and books? <laughs> and, no. So you, you you mentioned sourcing. So how do you go about sourcing your fabrics, your vendors, your your you know developing your your supply chain? So, like I said, in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't have my own manufacturing, but eventually it became so difficult to keep a handle on like my CMTs because I'm kind of Northern suburbs, Bloberg side. A lot of the people at the time were very Southern suburbs. And, and I mean like real Southern suburbs, Claremont side. Um, right. It was incredibly difficult because I, at the time was working in Stellenbosch. So you put it all together and it was, it was tough. People think Cape Town's amazing, but you drive around a lot. You do, and you get used to it, you know. Mm. Well, well, let me say this. We're from, not from Cape Town originally, so we're used to driving. Cape Townians mm. still, however, go, oh my gosh, you're based in Bloberg. That's so far. It's like, yeah. oh, it's like a 20-minute drive. <laughs> you, you spoke about fabrics, and fabrics are such an important element of your designs. Yeah. How do you go about sourcing you know, the, those? So in the beginning, I, like I said, I battled because... It was also trying to figure out what my customers wanted. So I made the decision that because I do lots of fit and flare kind of very 50s style silhouettes, 
um, that I wanted cotton. So generally I went with 100% cotton. But then what I also realized is specifically for my brand, I wanted something with a stretch. So to find stretch fabrics with, um, you know, that are predominantly cotton-based was tough because it's not mainstream fabrics. I mean, you go into YDE and in summertime, it'll be beautiful, lightweight fabrics. That's not what I want. So mm. it has been really hard. You know, I've got one or two now suppliers that do at wholesale level. They know me and they have my basic fabrics. So kind of what I've landed up doing is I've got my basic range with, um, you know, black, white, red, uh, navy, classic colors. And if I do introduce a print, those are the ones that I will buy like 15 meters from retail stores because that's kind of where I'm finding what I need for me, for my brand. Do, do you develop your own prints in any way? No, I don't. Purely because if, if I look at my, my fit and flare dresses and the ratings on a dress can be up to three meters or three and a half meters. So if you're printing your own fabrics, it just mm -hmm. blows it right out of the water. But I say oh. that it's for, it's for my target market. So my target yeah. market is not someone who's going to invest 2000 Rand in a dress. They, they just won't. So, which is a bit sad because I kind of always feel with my brand is I'm not getting what I should for it. And I am, I'm not, I'm not doing the double markups. I wish I was, you know, there are designers out there who can. Do you feel that hinders your creativity, not being able to produce the fabrics that Absolutely. you really need Absolutely. and also getting them at a right cost because, you know, printed fabric in this country can be anything from 200 Rand a meter upwards, you know, if you're Correct. printing your own. And that's going to destroy you. No, absolutely. And then a lot of the fabrics aren't very wide. So instead of using three meters, I'm using four and a half meters because I have a beautiful full skirt on my dresses. Um, you know, at one stage, what I started doing was we used to travel to America uh, quite a bit. And I started buying beautiful novelty print fabrics uh, that were cotton based from a supplier in California, uh, directly from them, from their factory. And the prices yes. were were still very good. Um, so when we traveled, I literally packed a suitcase of fabric. Our honeymoon, we, we hired a, a Dodge Challenger, which was like such a cool car. And our entire backseat was full of fabric. Not so cool in a cool car. After that, I subsequently was like, I need to get more. We need top ups. They're selling really well. At the time, I then moved on to having, I had a store in Long Street. So obviously stock then turn, turns over a lot quicker and the prices you can offer can be a little bit higher. And I brought in the fabrics, but then by the time you've added on freight and duties, just to get the fabric in was like 13,000, 13, 14, 15,000 Rand. And that's just to get it in. Just to get it in. It's you looking at 30,000 before you've even blinked with it, with some of the fabrics. It's just not, not doable. And do anymore. you think, do you think your customers or the South African customer understands these difficulties? No, no, not at all. They just want to look pretty. At the end of the day, you know, my girls just want to twirl around in a pretty full skirt with fluffy petticoats and feel fabulous. They'll be like, oh, you don't have any prints with uh, skulls on because we do. We do some beautiful prints with skulls. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. I, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's just not an option. Yeah, so sad. Uh, I just personally, I just wish that the manufacturers, the printers, the fabric people, the fabric merchants would just 
sit down and just you know speak to the designers and work out a better a better plan and a better you know method of doing this so that the designers can get fabric at a good price that they can you know then not mm -hmm. be paying ex you know paying full price and then still have to cut their profit margins so that they can s have a sale and try and live well that's the thing i mean like i said i i wish i could you know do the double markup on from cost to full price i just there's just no ways i battled to even find who the fabric wholesalers were and i looked i looked i really battled to get to those people and i think they sell to the very select designers out there you know the yde designers of the world who are the more well-known ones because they're they're in the front whereas someone like my brand who is kind of on the edge of fashion no one's even looking at the people on the edge I've, I really feel. So one of the things I wanted to touch on, you, you, you spoke about negotiating with vendors and that, and I wanted to see, like, how have you dealt with a very difficult um, vendor? Oh, look, I haven't had anybody too hectic. You know, mostly CMTs are probably has been my huge big, that's CMTs, I would say. And I have seen it all. I can write that book. You know, that's <laughs> why I opened my own factory eventually. Um, and rather did everything in-house. I can I can tell the stories from uh, patterns and samples being stolen because the daughter was a drug addict to patterns going missing, to them claiming they didn't get the patterns or you fetching your patterns and fabrics and then certain patterns don't come back and then saying, oh, sorry, I don't know where they are to garments sewn wrong, like badly, badly wrong, that they aren't, you can't even fix them. It's just was incredibly difficult. And it's not like my things are highly constructed. No, They're and the catch is you're, you're supplying a, a well-made pattern and you're supplying a, a good graded set and you're supplying a good sample. And if someone can't follow that. No, it's, so it, what, it was definitely hard. What values are you committed to as an entrepreneur? To be able to move, to move with uh, either technology, besides the, the trends is obviously our, you know, uh, mm -hmm. easy one. But my main thing is also like to move with technology and as it changes, whether it's a computer program you're using or exploring new avenues of printing, you know, like I said, yeah. I looked into it. So be open to those things and trying new ways. So I would say be, be, be flexible and be able to think on your feet and be able to make a decision quite quickly. You know, when you've got something that's going downhill and it's on the production line, you've got to be able to say, okay, you know, that's not working like that. Fine, it's too late in the game to get upset about it, but you've got to be able to make that decision quite quickly. And yeah. what values do you think are missing in the industry today? <sighs> Support small business. Really? Support the, yeah, the smaller uh, businesses, designers, um, you know, I think there's a lot of emphasis on young designers and I think, you know, it's because people see that the newer, younger designers need the help, but it's not always the case. I work very, very insular mm -hmm. now and it is due to COVID and a whole lot of other things, but I've always felt like I've very much worked on my own. Even when I had my factory and I had my store and I had staff underneath me and I was running all that, I still felt like I was left. And when I needed the help, even, you know, if you're looking at as a, as a business loans, because eventually, you know, I started that with nothing, um, only with what I could put in, but eventually we had to look at like, what are options here? You know, we've grown, I've grown so much. 
um, so quickly. It's like, okay, now we're needing to buy fabrics up front and quite a bit of fabric because the turnaround times are quicker, you know. Um, and I just felt that also with regards to businesses, banks, uh, it's, it's, it's quite scary. I think they offer a lot to the newer, younger brands and businesses, but also understanding that we don't have millions coming in just yet. Yeah. You know. So true. And besides financial support, do you feel that, well, what other type of support would you like to see from like a government body? When I uh, showcased in Las Vegas in 2016, I was, uh, there's like a huge rockabilly festival that happens. And it's an amazing, amazing festival. It's music um, based, but it is people from around the world. There's like 20,000 people attend, I think, every year. Um, they also have a huge big fashion show. So I was accepted onto the fashion show. And then with that, you can also basically showcase your range um, as a vendor. They have like a huge big um, kind of a festival market, but it's huge, like a marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's it was amazing. I was, yeah, I, blown away. But being unable to do that, I then had to take stock. So I had to take um, stock to sell. I also had to take um, fashion show range and makeup. Um, and then I had my team. So it was myself and my husband. And then we had two other ladies with us who doubled up as also people who could help me on my stand, but who also helped with hair and makeup and the fashion show. So we had a team of four. You know what, at the time, I tried to look into which government uh, kind of, who could help us with funding, yes. um, mm -hmm. because it's quite, you know, expensive, because you are producing up front and we battled and we, we had two meetings the last meeting they could not understand for the life of, of, the, of me. They couldn't understand that I didn't have a beaded product. I was not African, yet I was showcasing in America and they actually they weren't prepared to back me. Instead of looking at it oh. as I'm a South African woman owned mm -hmm. niche market <laughs> brand who's showcasing a South African produced, locally produced, locally run, locally employed, all woman, tea company, who's now going to be That's... showcasing in America. And selling internationally. Selling, we sold, we sold, we were able to sell to um, stores, so um, at wholesale level. So we really put everything into it. You know, I sold to stores, um, one in Canada, I sold to stores in the States. Um, I've got people who bought subsequently from then. So it was really amazing. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And and the kind and of thing that the DTR should be supporting, a woman-run, woman-owned, locally produced range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we, on paper, we had, had it all and we had the yeah. product. I had product to show them. I've got a history. By then I had been doing my brand for six years. I mean, we've got trading history. We, we had everything. And at the end of the day, I had to, my husband and I had to both take you know, personal loans Lens. and and funded ourselves. Right. Mm. Well, but besides government's um, red tape and bureaucracy, we've had COVID and lockdowns. How has COVID and the lockdowns impacted your business and your goals? Um, you have an interesting story. 
<laughs> I, I do. <laughs> um, I was, uh, so I left South Africa in, on New Year's Eve 2019 um, for Canada for three months. Um, it, you know, timing was perfect because it is my quiet time. So as per, you know, most clothing industry, December, January is our quiet time from a manufacturing point of view. So I was like, this is great. Uh, the Rockabilly Festival I spoke about happens in April. Awesome. I'm going to meet Murray there in April. We'll be able to go to this this, um, this huge event in, in Vegas and meet up and then come back to South Africa in April. Wow. The world had other plans and we all know what happened at the end of March. And that was that. <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, so I, I'd gone over the time to help um, a, a good friend of mine with her daughter. So it was kind of like experience Canada and then have a bit of a holiday. And then, you know, we get to hang out. I'm like, cool, I can work remotely. I could still run social media and all those basic things from afar. Um, my factory, I still had, I was down to two machinists, I think, at the time. Okay. Um, but I'd set up, set up enough work that they could you know, run with it while I was away. Um, Murray was still helping me if we needed anything. He knows enough about my business. So that that did definitely help is having, you know, people here that my machinist had been with me for sure, eight years, nine years, a long time. So that was all, everything was in place. And then lockdown happened worldwide and I arrived back in South Africa at the end of September. <laughs> okay. You were gone for a while. Yeah, so kind of, I would say May, I, I I had to start working as much as I could back on my business and um, focus, change my focus, which we I literally did, you know, 180 degree turn. I just, um, Murray, we managed to get stock sent, which was pretty miraculous because during lockdown, stuff wasn't happening, including the post office. Mm -hmm. um, but he managed to get stock sent to me via courier and I sold it. So I had kind of set up a little business there, mishap the brand and retrospective, which is my store to a degree there. I set up an online store and I literally just, <laughs> as you said, you got to run with it, you know, um, back in South Africa, I was still keeping Apple on my online store because it's obviously you can. Um, and then suddenly we were like, the clothing's not selling because no one's going anywhere. What are we going to do? It's like, oh my gosh, I survived on making masks. Never in my wildest dreams. Never, <laughs> ever, ever would have predicted that. But yeah, so in Canada, I was lucky. I did sell clothing um, and I did sell to other stores, which was great. And also like one-on-one -on -one sales to, to ladies out there that I was able to. Yeah. So that was, that was, also a case of, you know, you've got to make a plan. This is your situation. It's not ideal, but you've still got to make it work. And, and I think I did. I, I enjoyed it and I met great people. And I got to experience running a business to a degree in another country. Um, although it was still a South African-based business, I must point out here. So that, was, that allowed me to do it that way. That's fantastic. So it was still being made locally. Yeah, 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 definitely. definitely. And, you, and you kept your head above water through COVID. So if you look back at your 25-year career, what blind spots do you see entrepreneurs don't pay attention to? I would say, you know, something that I've always said is earn your stripes. 
get a, a well-rounded background and be able to do most things. And I feel a lot of the, the younger designers, newer businesses, you know, everybody wants to sprint and they haven't even walked. Um, mm. That doesn't mean you have to start slow, but be methodical and have systems and procedures in place from the start, from the start. Right. So, you know, that's, that could be anything from like doing your costings properly to your filing system, to your style book, to having some kind of a system, to keeping record of the styles and fabrics you used, have that from the start. I knew about all that because I had done it all before, but someone who's new doesn't know about that stuff. Mm. Um, I've just worked with a swimwear brand now who she's just taken, she just started it really. And I've run through all those basics with her and she's like, no background in fashion, but she knew she wanted to do the swimwear brand. So it's actually been really nice because she's been super open to it and new things. And she's like, you've, you've taught me because I did not know. I had no clue. Well, that's yeah, what I've so noticed as well through COVID is that so many people have wanted to get into CMT or fashion in some way who don't come from mm -hmm. a fashion background. And mm -hmm. there's such a need for training or, or upskilling or skills in general. I mean, just fabric alone, not understanding the terminologies and the properties mm -hmm. and all of that. When you come into it without that knowledge, you're going to be taken for a ride so easily. And just so, having like from start to finish how things work uh, that's that has been that's that has worked for me i've earned my stripes now you are a very feisty individual so how do you see yourself and other brands collaborating i think the most important thing is to find the synergy and shared brand values but sometimes you you can have um be different but still worked well together so i think that that's very important and, and finding the brand values that work well together. I've met many amazing creatives that I just work really well with and we are friends now. And, it, and it's bouncing those, those ideas off each other and creating um, happiness, we always say. Rainbows and unicorns. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's just, it is making it work. And at the moment, I'm working quite closely with uh, the swimwear brand, Betty Bombshell. Um, it is a very 50s brand, which works really well with what I do. And although she's, it's a very separate brand, we do chat a lot about, you know, whether it's how the business has been run and how best to do it, but also like cross um, marketing and how to do things where our brands work well together and situations where they can complement each other. So it's also about com complementing brands. So that kind of thing works well. You know, I think when you, it's so important to have those shared values. Yeah. Sometimes you don't, and that's situations that you can look back and go, okay, well, that didn't work because there was mm -hmm. still something missing. And it's just that gut feeling. You know, we learn along the way. I'm still learning all the time. I tend to be very open to <laughs> all sorts of things. Um, but that's why it's also important to have you know, someone who you can con not necessarily confide in, but chat to, or whether it's a mentor or a friend or a family member who can sometimes give you that different perspective. So I know you, for example, have shown at Vegas, you've shown internationally. There's lots of tricks and tips that you can help anyone who's going to take a range overseas with, you know, as far as mm -hmm. 
sending your stock or pricing your stock or following up on sales or engaging, you know, it's so important that we, we, we start to share and talk to each other. What skills yes. are needed in the South African apparel industry right now to move ahead? I think to back your local designers, creatives and fashion industry, fashion mm. industry, back the locals. Back, back um, the locals. Yeah. And in, in all aspects. So that goes all the way down to, you know, our postage rates, uh, freight rates, whether it's bringing in fabrics, because recently and due to COVID, everything's gone up. Transport has all gone up. The cost of all that's gone up. And just the support, the support, I think, is, is, is a big thing. What type of support would you need? I would say to the, the building blocks of your, of your business. So the admin side, because creatives, that doesn't come naturally at all <laughs> you know very few people and um so more on the i would say the finance the financial and admin side you know better equipped okay. um those starting out their journey when i started my brand what 2008 that as a designer we were not designing anymore we were being told what to do so it was literally taking an overseas sample and tweaking it and sometimes not even you were just copying you were a copy artist people importing from the east more and mm -hmm. more and more whether it was fabrics or garments we started seeing that coming through to the chain stores you know the the average consumer probably isn't even a, wasn't at the time aware of it i'd say like 10 15 years down the line even now it started getting a lot better some local factories starting up again and that makes me really really excited we just now need to get the fabrics and the printers and the fabric mills, if we could get them back on track, because I think when the clothing industry was at its best in South Africa and when we were flourishing, we had those ground businesses. We had those people like really exactly. at roots level. We had the printers, we had the, you know, the mills, we had the manufacturers and not just small base CMTs that, that people are running from home. You know, we had like exactly. medium, mm -hmm size size industries that we could as a small business then go to where now there's a huge gap between the top companies and the bigger business but even they're not even there you know they've closed down i find that like if you look at a printer or you look at a cmt they are so chasing that big order from mm. mm -hmm. from a, a, a retailer a mass market retailer that they are not interested in even looking at the small guys and, that, yeah, and that's tough. the problem. I get it. I get it. I, get it. Mm. I understand that because, you know, they've got costs and they've got staff and they've got, you know, their, their inks for the printers. I deal with a digital printer now. So I've got yeah. a, um, a company that does that for me. They're, they're ridiculously expensive. Um, so I, in a way, I get that. But at the same time, there's no middle, middle small to medium sized business that we can work with as being small to medium businesses ourselves. Yes, the, the gaps like just too big. It's either you're you've got a, a small CMT, either you run it yourself, number one, or number two, you're having to deal with someone who's working out of their garage with a CMT. There's just no. Very true. It's just yeah. the gap is too big, and the top people are just not even there anymore. They're long gone. No, and I just wish the governed bodies like a Westgrow or a Cape Town Fashion Council or a SA Fashion Council or. The DTI would sit down and listen to what designers and manufacturers, the small CMTs are saying and offer that support because, you know, that's the only way we're going to really start to change 
the industry. Mm-hmm. Over the years, we have seen, you know, like design centers, design hubs start, but they never, ever last. Whether it's, mm. uh, you know, the designers are fickle. Who knows? Maybe we creatives, we, we here and there and we're everywhere. Um, but when you don't have the support from, from government or the bigger guys and the bigger companies, yeah. Give us your elevator pitch on who you are. I am a creative through and through. I am deeply passionate about the things I believe in. I believe in it's so important to move with the times. And as someone who's in her mid-40s, I believe it even more, you know. Mm. Um, but I also believe in staying true to who you are. Don't lose yourself. And I think that's something that I've been very lucky that I've been able to, to go with. Um, what I'm doing now is, is something I'm passionate about. So find your passion, lock into it and get those creative juices flowing. Don't let that die because you'll, as a creative, you literally die a slow death. <laughs> you don't want that. We, we don't want that. So where can people no. find you and follow you? I, so my store is Retrospective Store. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Our website is retrospective.co.za, and that's my retail store and outlet. Mostly online now. I've got a small physical store in uh, Montague Gardens, Cape Town. Uh, the clothing brand is Mishap, M-I-S-S-H-A-P-P. Uh, we're also Mishap S-A on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find me on LinkedIn, mandy Mill on LinkedIn. Mandy, thank you very much for your time and taking the time out to speak to us. We wish you all the best for the rest of the year and the upcoming season and hope to chat to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to this episode. To stay up to date with all things Apparel Report, please follow this channel. You can keep up to date with our daily happenings by following us on Facebook or Instagram at The Apparel Report. We'd like to keep the conversation going, so please comment, leave a voice note, or suggestion below. The Apparel Report is self-funded, and if you'd like to get involved, please reach out. Join me next week for more insights, stories, and to meet new makers.